Hey, oh my god, it's our first podcast. Okay, I have this this like desire to say, is this thing on? As the opening <laughs> line. That's you like should. <laughs> that's like the number one thing that I wanna say <laughs> for some I feel like I, it's it's like a quintessential like podcast. Oh, is this thing on? <laughs> is this thing on? <laughs> I've been practiced that at all. <laughs> okay, so we're starting this podcast. Um, so my name's Wahi, um, and I'm here with my friend Desva. <laughs> Desva, <laughs> and so we're basically making this podcast that we've called Wahi and Debe, right? Debe, is that how you say it? Debe. Debe. Oh my gosh, I should Debe. have clarified. Debe. <laughs> okay. Wahi. So, um, so we're going to do some basic, maybe like classic native introductions, and then maybe we can get into the name of our podcast, why we named it that. Um, and then we'll get to know each other and get into our topic. Um, so do you want to go first with your classic native introduction? Sure. Okay. And I have been working on it, but I'll be honest, my accent to people, <laughs> to Navajo speakers who are fluent, they will definitely be able to tell that I'm new. But Yeah, um, <laughs> it's okay. okay. So, <laughs> all right. So in Navajo, yate, uh, yate do shidne, she'e desba yinushye. Totachini Nishni, uh Naminabashashin, Okot Ego Dine Astare Nishni. Um so that was Navajo and I also um introduced myself to Comanche or Namina and that is um Ha Marawaika uh Nanani Tsa Desba uh Nase Namina Nana Namina Tsa Manatachi. Wow <laughs> Amazing yeah. Okay. Been working on it. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So, I mean, what's what's great about my language is that not a lot of people speak it. So even though I'm about to butcher the pronunciation pretty badly, I don't think there will be too many criticizers out there. Um, but thank you for giving your introduction. Um, so, I'll go next. Um, so, Hamintanch Puyuhan, Nitawana Wahi, Nutan Yuhaviatam, Tuvi Pianu. Evie Tuvach Gabrieliniam Puki Nahun Hakup Aai Ani Chumu Kuhan Ingwekwa Amai Wiwanain Kuka Ipu Kikam Pumuka Hakup Aai. So I basically just said, um, Hello everyone, my name is Wahi. I'm People of the Pines, um, Serrano Yuhaviatam. Um, so I'm actually broadcasting from Gabrielano territory, um, which is now known as Los Angeles. And so I want to thank the Gabrielano or the Tongva for hosting me today so I can uh, stay on this land and do this podcast. Um, but now that we've kind of said like where we're from, we can maybe explain what Wahi and Dibe, Dibe, sorry, I'll get it. I'll get it. I will. Um, what that kind of means and why we named the podcast that. So I go by Wahi because it means coyote um, in Serrano. 
Um, most of the time I go by Anichiwahi, which means little coyote. Um, and the coyote is very prominent in a lot of our native stories. Um, and he's kind of known as a mischievous character and kind of represents like the, I don't want to say bad, but the not so great parts of all of us. So I appreciate his honesty. Um, <laughs> so that's why I chose for one of the names in our podcast to be Wahi, because I think it very much embodies some of the Serrano teachings. That's great. I like that a lot. Coyote is just the quintessential trickster. I just such a such an icon. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's a common thing among other native people is the Wahi being kind of a little trickster, like you said, mischievous in a way. Yeah. I think it's just kind of like the philosophy of the coyote being like a trickster who doesn't necessarily want to be bad, but just through his actions and impulses, mm-hmm. he ends up being like that kind of that kind of character influence. Um, but yeah, I li- I really like your suggestion um, that we call it Wahi and Debet, especially because sheep, um, which are Debet, uh, are such a big part of Navajo culture that it's just. It goes hand in hand with coyote, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so perfect. It makes so much sense. Yeah. yeah. Sheep and coyotes, just sacred, sacred creatures. <laughs> yes, definitely. And I feel like it's fitting to bring the podcast to the roots of like the land and the animals in a way of what's mm-hmm. like important to us from each of our cultures. So, um, so that's a little tidbit on why we named it that. Um, And then we've kind of wanted to make this podcast first um, episode just like um, getting to know each other because unless maybe you found us from Twitter, which would be amazing. So you might know some of us based off our tweets. And maybe this is your first time hearing our voices, which is incredible. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So maybe if you don't know us um, otherwise then you can kind of have this opportunity to get to know us at the basic level in the beginning and kind of um, our goals for the podcast on kind of centering this around indigeneity um, and what it means for us to be native. Um, So also maybe we should explain that we met each other on Twitter um, this year, right? I would say like Uh... in January. It was uh, it was when you made the tweet with the um, the portrait of the Navajo girl. Yeah, that... I think I did that in January. Um, I love that. Thank you. So that's how I met Desba, and it's been so fun following you and getting to know you over Native Twitter because I feel like as much as I engage with Native Twitter, I don't personally know a lot of the people I engage with, and it's been really fun to get to know you better. Aw, same. Yeah, I I love Native Twitter. It's such a cute little community of people that, you know, have similar background, but it's just, it's really interesting to hear all of, like, the differences and how, even the criticisms that come out and come to play, you know? It's all very, yeah. 
it's a lot of knowledge gathering and I think that is amazing like I I can't get that kind of knowledge being displaced in in Texas um, you know without being on a reservation so that's what I really really appreciate about it yeah whole community yeah and I think what's so special is finding the similarities even though we are different and our differences should be celebrated it's also just so incredible when you talk or hear from another native person on Twitter and you're like, whoa, how did they just validate my experience so well? And I feel like that's what, what I came to native Twitter for was for validation in a way from what I was already experiencing in the real world. Um, so we gathered some kind of questions for each other. Um, So I guess since we're already talking about native Twitter, I'll ask you, um, what did you sign up to use Twitter for? And what do you think its pros and cons are? Mm, I signed up for Twitter and like, I just saw that they put the, the month and the year that you signed up. Oh, really? (laughs) I know I was like, I'm so old. It was uh, April April of 2010 that I signed up, and honestly, I probably signed up to like use a hashtag or something for mm-hmm. a promotion or something in person. Mm-hmm. But then I just started using it just just to post about my day. It was really, and honestly, I want to use the word, but it's a curse word. But it, I crap post <laughs> all the time. <laughs> top post all the yeah. time so it was just that and then like it kind of just gradually just became me talking about my experience because then I after I found the community and realized that this was a place for me to kind of you know just connect and then also validate other people's experiences too you know yeah so so do you think it has any pros and cons yeah, the pros I think are that, you know, you can find your community if it's really small and niche. Um, I think I have it right here, hold on. Um, but like the cons I think, I think kind of Native Twitter talks about it a lot um, in trying to, like the whole gatekeeping aspect of it, I think. Some people are very protective of their own identity and how they represent themselves or what they see as an as a native person and I think when sometimes they're confronted with somebody else's idea of what it is to be native they kind of have a feeling have a way of trying to prove themselves as being right and so I see that a lot and I think I think that's kind of dangerous because there are a lot of people that have um you know misguided or misconstrued notions about their own identity but they're just not at the point to where they've researched or connected with their community or realized it enough to know that what they think isn't exactly is is you know it's not based in reality it's more based on a like what society has projected as native identities so I think just the con of it being that there are too many people that want to have a certain identity for all native people you know yeah kind of, and kind of like pigeonholing us in a way and if you don't like yeah. fit that then you must be like expelled from the community in some type of way 
or you might you might be pretending you know yeah we oh, see that a lot yes but it's just I think it's just kind of it's it's good to want to define what identity is but not when it's at the expense of somebody else's you know journey is, mm-hmm. is what I that's I think that's that's pretty much the biggest gripe that I have about it is sometimes it can get to be where I'm like questioning my own identity mm-hmm. instead of you know building like a better idea of what it can be you know mm-hmm. yeah definitely but I think so what do you but what do you think are the cons oh yeah <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I think the cons are that sometimes you can have groupthink in a way, um, and it can be challenging to differentiate, like, okay, what's my opinion, and what are people trying to tell me what my opinion is? Um, Especially when it comes to Native issues, you know? Sometimes I feel like if I stray a little further from groupthink in a way of what it means to be native or like on any native issue I wonder if it's like valid or like um if I'm allowed to have that opinion um so not that like people are like pressuring me to think anything but I think there's this ambiance in the air of native twitter that um because we're native we have a certain opinion on things you know um Mm -hmm. And it can be especially hard, like, if you're trying to speak up against something that is so ingrained in our identity as Native people. Like, it took me forever to talk about blood quantum in the way that I did because I was so terrified of people invalidating what I was saying based on, you know, old colonial practices and stuff. So, um... So I think, yeah, the con is that sometimes it makes me a little scared to actually speak my mind fully, um, and it's hard to differentiate, like, what is me and what is everything that I'm hearing. Um, And then also another con, too, is I think that there's so many opinions, and I don't know, like, I'm an ENFP, I'm all about personality tests and stuff like that, (laughs) but I have a huge problem sometimes being able to form an opinion because there's so many opinions out there, and Twitter is literally just, like, endless amounts of opinions that you're scrolling through, so sometimes it can really overwhelm me because I can't take a stance on something because I'm so empathetic with other people so I would say that's kind of a con is being inundated with people's views all the time oh yeah that makes sense but thank you for bringing that to the table all of those discussions about blood quantum that that were going on at the time and even now I'm sure these discussions are happening yeah today but that was when you and uh the other account forget what I think it's like dead lake dog or something I call him res dog they just change it yeah I call them res dog too oh res turtle res turtle okay gotcha but yeah when when you guys were were going back and forth about that 
it kind of did make me realize that even though we are such a small group and even like on native Twitter and then actually, you know, just as a, a population group in the, in the U S and Canada, like our ability to also put that criticism on how we wield our privilege and how we define our own concepts Mm-hmm. Um, outside of colonial structures and what how they've tried to like mold us in their schools and so on, just kind of it's important to to have constant to have those dissenting voices to to question all of these like ingrained social structures that have just been in place mm-hmm. since you know decades. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it's it's so cool that that's a space where you can meet where I was able to meet somebody like that who gave me the confidence to speak, you know? So that's like a major pro of Twitter as well. Um, But did you want to ask your questions or I can keep going down my list or I can pull some of your questions? I don't know if you have them up, but I have them in front of me. Um, The question that I had for you, did I... I don't have the Google Drive document. I got it. I can I can uh, read it right now, and I'll just answer it if that's okay. But okay, I think yeah, sure. the first one you asked was, what are your first memories you remembered of feeling validated with Native Twitter? I love this question <laughs> because I have the exact moment in my head when I felt validated on Native Twitter. Um my, I, I, I have two moments, but the one that struck me the most and – um, so I was, this was, I'd already had it, I've had a Twitter since like, I want to say like 2011 or something like that. Um, but I never used it like with, <laughs> with a real purpose in mind until native Twitter, until I came upon native Twitter. And I would say that's when Twitter like really became a thing for me. Um, and also just like social justice Twitter in general. I think I was like getting into social justice Twitter and then I found native Twitter Um, But I distinctly remember I was at the res at my parents' house, and I I often, when I was younger, used to feel invalidated for being Native, and this is a privilege, Um, but because I'm white, um, I get read as white, so I'm white-coded, so people automatically think that I'm white. So even though I have, like, plenty of cousins that look like me, I'd never seen Natives outside my community, my immediate community that looked like me. Um, and I was on Twitter and I came across Eve Tuck, um, who is a prominent Alaskan um, uh, indigenous like professor and academic. Um, and when I saw what she looked like, um, I was like, whoa, we look kind of similar. Like, like, cause I have like reddish brown hair, um, and she kind of has similar hair color to me. Um, but I literally got so excited. I like ran to my dad <laughs> and I was like, dad, like, you'll never believe it. Like I found somebody from here who doesn't like, you know, look like immediately, like you read them as like brown native, you know, um, I, I wasn't sure if that like existed outside of my res or outside of my community. Um, so I was so excited to see somebody so professional and successful and valid and amazing in indigenous studies who kind of shared a similar physical identity to me. Um, 
so that gave me like amazing confidence that like I can talk about this like phenotype does not make you native it's so much it's one of the things but it's one of many things that can make you native you know so that was like the first time that I was like truly validated um but do you do you remember any of the times that you felt validated with native twitter (laughs) um honestly native twitter probably validates me like every day (laughs) yeah (laughs) true uh, the first time was when, um, and it was like right after I discovered there was such a thing as native Twitter, uh, but there was this whole incident, and I call it the share apocalypse. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because there was this instance where, um, and I don't want to get into the whole backstory because I could talk about this for a really long time. But yeah. <laughs> share basically called Jacqueline Keeler, who is this amazing just respected Dene and Tonquin journalist she she straight up just called her a bitch and I was just like or yeah and I was just like floored because it was basically just like one of my themes in life to see like how you know there here's this privileged white woman who has taken like serious liberties with the Native American or you know so-called Native American indigenous woman identity and she has this like amazing power as a as a white woman who's you know taken the image and kind of distorted it in mm-hmm. the public eye and just to sh- for her to show blatant disrespect like that i just kind of like something just like clicked that day and like i wow. went to my keyboard and like <laughs> warriored <laughs> up and i was like posting all these like aggressive tweets and like um People were like liking it, retweeting it, and it was like the most attention that I had gotten on Twitter since March of 2010 when I signed up. And so <laughs> I was like, I was hooked at that point because I was like, here are these ideas that I've had, all of these thoughts that I've had about how how much Cher has done harm just with like what she's done with the image, and here are these people that are agreeing with me, and it's the conversation that I had never heard before. So the fact that I could take part in it and, you know, kind of drive the conversation Mm -hmm. in the direction of, you know, asking for people to take responsibility was just kind of like the first time I was really, I kind of understood the fact, the power, I guess, that you could have on a platform like that. And so that's that's the first time and it was... Yeah, I have to say there's nothing like when you write something on Twitter to kind of do with a certain topic and it gains traction, you know. That's like, it's a good feeling because most of the time I convince myself that a lot of my thoughts like don't matter or whatever. So when somebody tells me that it like, or, you know, they retweet or they tell you that like, thank you for saying something, you're like, oh, wow, like, (laughs) I'm actually glad that I spoke up. Right. So that's really cool. I think that's a good um, story that kind of speaks to how Native Twitter or any community on Twitter, you know, how you can find yourself Mm -hmm. and find your own voice, you know? Yeah. Um, So the next question that I had for you was, what are your goals right now? And that's so broad, but maybe in life, maybe in projects. Um, wherever you think you're headed next? Um, 
my goals right now are basically just to, and it's very broad, of course, but it's just to take care of myself and like my my mental health mm-hmm. because I I kind of just realized that like because I started doing a lot of things like making a lot of external goals that I felt like would other people would validate me if I achieve these goals. Um, when I started making so many of those, it, it always came back to my mental health. Like I wasn't, I didn't have mm-hmm. enough health there to actually accomplish mm-hmm. much of what I wanted to do. And so it's kind of a big goal. Um, and I kind of, I know it's attainable to, to get a certain stable level of health, of like mental health, but I, it's important for me to, to just make that my main goal because before I can help like my community my other people my family I have to make sure that like I'm okay <laughs> so yeah that that's pretty much what I'm that's my main goal right now and everything that I learn it's always something that I can apply to like my uh, my relationships my work life and then also like all my other like goals that I have and like making art and things like that yeah Thank you so much for sharing that, though. I feel like that's a topic that is not talked about enough, especially from a personal experience. Um, But I, like, struggle with mental health literally every day of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I definitely also prioritize that as something Mm -hmm. important. But it's super admirable when someone, like, outside of you, you know, speaks to that. So, yeah, thank you for sharing. I know it can be, like, difficult to put yourself out there for stuff like that because it makes you so vulnerable mm-hmm. in some ways yeah um that's kind of the whole yeah. goal that I have too like it's it's kind of like goes hand in hand and it runs parallel with it because a lot of what I saw in my own family was that that struggle to take care of themselves mentally and then also to be okay mm-hmm. with like asking for help and so I think mm-hmm. that that, especially in our native communities, like it's important for people to, and it is like super uncomfortable to talk about it, but to just like, just, just to voice it, you know, just to give, um, just, just to verbalize it is enough. I feel like to make it more accessible and for people to kind of just let go of all of those kind of, you know, negative feelings towards asking for help yeah the stigmas and like I don't know about you but I feel like growing up with my dad um and in my community I feel like there was this like problem of like native masculinity around talking about things and talking about trauma Mm -hmm. um that we've experienced so it was it was never like ever even remotely an idea to me that I could ask somebody for help if I was struggling with my mental space because it was so much that it was taught to us as like just suck it up and move on I think it's that you know it's that intersection and it's rare for other people to understand it but it there is like a really um for our communities at least the, the way that toxic masculinity and warrior culture or perceived warrior culture mm. intersect that make it like a mm-hmm. very, very ripe, you know, environment for mental illness to just take hold and, you know. Wow, that's like such an amazing observation right there. <laughs> Seriously, though, right? Like 
we're so much expected to like be survivors and stoic like yeah stoic Mm -hmm. yes which I mean I appreciate like the aesthetics of looking stoic (laughs) and that will always be a part of my (laughs) my fashion you know but just like the actual mental awareness of being stoic it shouldn't translate that deep into our psyche to where Mm -hmm. we feel like we have to be numb or like things that are little you know the little anxieties and stuff for them to I think we kind of punish ourselves for letting little anxieties get to us um because they're not Mm -hmm. as big as the 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 huge traumas you know the intergenerational trauma and I think that that's a mistake I think that we should be listening to our little anxieties and and you know treating them with the same like awareness as we do our you know our major trauma yeah yeah I completely agree yeah I think it's all about embracing accepting and speaking up about it because we can suffer in silence and that suffering gets to a point where it's extreme yeah you know Mm -hmm. and people make really irreversible decisions because they've been suffering for too long in silence right it's just like a huge like guard that you have to spend all your mental faculties holding up and then you know Mm -hmm. you see it all time and time again that that the guard comes down you know when people are drinking or you know just Mm -hmm. stressed to the point of you know breaking points yeah yeah that's a whole other topic but (laughs) we'll totally get into that though I'm sure in in another episode um but I think the next question you had um for me was what would you tell your past self about your life now which whoo I don't even know (laughs) the first thing that came to mind for me was um telling myself like that I'm gonna be sober which is I don't think my past self would have ever expected that um because I've struggled with like addiction and stuff so I always imagined a future where like I would be using to get by you know I used it as like I was so reliant on it um I never, and it's, it didn't even take up a huge chunk of my life, but that's what addiction does is that like, even if it catches you in a short amount of time, it consumes so much of you. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think I would tell my past self, like, get ready, you know, because it's, this is going to be your last few moments of being able to quote unquote, enjoy, you know, this reckless lifestyle that you have in your teens. Mm -hmm. Um, and thank, so yeah, thankfully, I we've think, all survived that period. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it's wild how, like, so close I was to not surviving it, yeah. you know? Because I definitely had the scariest experiences in my life because I went overboard. Um, and it's funny because, like, you know, for some people, they think it's, like, you know street drugs like really hardcore stuff but like I when you have a mental illness like some drugs can be so intense even if they're the milder ones you know yeah um so yeah I think I would just tell my past self like you're gonna be so proud of like where you find yourself in the next four years 
um, from when I was just like a young little naive, <laughs> like barely an adult, <laughs> you know, because I feel like my life has dramatically changed from since I've turned and gotten out of the house and stuff. So yeah, I think I would tell myself that I'm going to be proud and to soak up all the last remnants of my chaotic life because <laughs> I'm not going to have too many more of them. <laughs> and I, it, I find it like so interesting how you see a lot of people and especially indigenous women that have gone through that period of like being impulsive and, and you know, kind of mm-hmm. just experimenting but you know it I think it I think that's one of the things that I really want to focus on is kind of helping people to get through those experiences because you can't tell a young woman not to do something like that you know no. because I feel like we're <laughs> no. gonna do it anyway you know but just yeah just it just kinda, makes us want to do it more <laughs> right I think it's just kind of more of we're like telling our young women and helping uh, young indigenous women to, you know, take care of themselves in a in a mm-hmm. way that is more that you know because I think I feel like a lot of people just need to hear it, you know, like need to feel validated in their own existence. Mm-hmm. And a lot of like the problems that I used to have would have been helped if I had had some type of validation like that. I think I went looking for it yes. in, in places where it was like easily attainable. And that was, like, mm-hmm. you know, the dangerous, you know, situations and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, too, for people that, like, for us, mm-hmm. Indigenous women that are, like, grown in a way and have matured beyond those certain stages, I think it's, like you said, it's not telling them not to do it. It's saying, like, I'm here whenever you're ready, mm-hmm. you know, whenever you get to a different point in your life, I'm, I'm always going to be here. Mm-hmm just waiting you know because I see the same thing happening with like native youth like from my community you know like they're they're gonna experiment and they're gonna go through their things and there's nothing I can do to stop them other than just be constantly on the other side right and showing showing our people that there is another option like another way to be Mm -hmm. because I know Mm -hmm. for like speaking for myself like back when I was doing all that kind of stuff that like at the time I couldn't picture another scenario in my head like I couldn't yes I didn't see you know people proudly wearing their regalia or like native people in fashion that we do that we see today and so like because Mm -hmm. I didn't see like something that I thought was attainable I kind of just tried to make my own path in a way that felt good at the time. And so that, Mm -hmm. I think, like, looking back on it, like, I feel like if I had another, if I saw another option for my life, it would have been something that I would have worked towards instead of all that other stuff. But yeah. Yeah, totally. So. So my last question for you is what kind of artwork or other do you want to focus on in the future? focus (laughs) (laughs) I need focus like in general but um what I'm really focusing on right now is just writing um like I try to write every day 
but my end goal that I really want to do is I do want to make films. Like, I've known that since, like, my, my parents took me to the movie theater when I was, like, a, like before I can remember. And so mm-hmm. I've always been kind of, a, like, a film watcher and a movie watcher. And I used to watch, like, all these arty films, like, <laughs> when I was a little kid and... Um, Mm -hmm. So I kind of grew up just very acutely aware of the lack of representation and the lack of, like, genuine Mm -hmm. representation. And I was very, like, grateful to see any type of natives in film. And back when I was, like, more young and naive and more, like, impressionable, like, I can actually look back and see, like, when all these benchmark films came out and how they correlated with my like how I felt about myself, how I saw other natives, and like how I thought that the world saw me. And so mm-hmm. a lot of it, when I look back on it, was very toxic. It was like super harmful. It made me feel almost in some way like even more alone. Like, mm-hmm. and I felt like a lot of the times that when I wasn't telling people, because I've lived off my reservation like my whole life pretty much since I was six. So mm-hmm. anytime I felt like I was introducing myself as a native, like I could see in their heads that they were picturing whatever that woman, the white woman from uh, Dances with Wolves or something. And mm-hmm. yeah. And so I just kind of, and then even Pocahontas is one of the, the major ones. And that has been kind of like an influence in my life since, since I can remember. And like, a, me and you as natives on Native Twitter, we kind of know mm-hmm. the the thoughts about about that movie and how, how it... Yeah. How, like... And I think, like, the general public doesn't really understand how impactful that movie is to, like, the way people treat us mm. in society. I know, and, right. And so, like, that's always kind of been my thing, is, like, I'm always just kind of, like... Before I even, like, started reconnecting with my traditional roots, like, I always knew that I wanted to make movies, and so it's just kind of reached this point in my life where I'm just very aware of it and focused on it, and I'm just, like, constantly working towards it so that one day, you know, (laughs) little kids, their first memory will be of an actual, real, genuine representation, so... Yeah, that's beautiful. That's so <laughs> awesome. I think we're all like dying for some genuine native films, mm-hmm. you know? Because I grew up and I still to this day whenever I'm around my dad, all we watch are westerns <laughs> and we all know what westerns depict us as. I know. And f- for my dad, I think he likes that so much because it's the only um, genre where you can bet on us being existent in that world, you know? Yeah, and the, th- um, and the thing about that, too, because I've seen, like, people on Twitter talk about it, and it's kind of one of those loaded questions, you know, where people are saying, we're done with, like, westerns and, and old-timey and, like, back-in-the-day mm-hmm. movies, but the thing of it is that, and this is my view on it, I don't think that we are done. I feel like they yeah. I feel like they are done. Like white people, mm-hmm. production companies, Hollywood, they're done. And I feel like it's time for native artists to take their point on all of these uh, historical 
views and films and if somebody wants to make a movie set back in those times and they're native and they have a genuine viewpoint like I feel like everybody should support it and that no yeah nobody should be asking them like oh we don't need any more of those movies because we definitely do like we need yeah we need westerns that are set in those times where the natives are not the people the aggressors they're not the yes. they're yes. not the people that we're betting against they're not the enemy and even just mm-hmm. like this year like with um what is that show called <laughs> on HBO um Westworld yes Westworld when we when they introduced the Lakota characters i was just so disappointed and like disheartened to see that they were cast in a way that they they were the antagonists and they were the ones that were like trying to keep up with the ideas you know when it could have been Mm. it could have been Mm -hmm. something revolutionary they could have you know actually saw uh indigenous people as you know multifaceted or like on contemporary right exactly and like struggling with the same like dual identity or spirits that the main characters did you know they were very every yeah they're always so two-dimensional and that's i think mm-hmm. that's definitely why i say they're pretty much done like they've already had their chance and they've pretty much just shown that creatively they don't have what it takes to imagine an indigenous person and it's, yeah for sure but yeah <laughs> so definitely can that's talk amazing about that all day <laughs> yeah yeah, and that'll be so fun to get into, mm-hmm. especially, like, hearing maybe what um, you see as a different future mm-hmm. for films with Native representation. Um, but I know that, like, throughout my whole freaking life, <laughs> I've just been fed this one vision of us as in the past with cowboys, you know? So I'm exhausted by it. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, that's that's super awesome that you want to do film. Um, and then, so, I think the, there's like two more last questions. Um, so the two last questions, I think we could both answer these two, okay. if you want to. Sure. Um, so, the question that you had was, what traditional belief drives you? Um, I don't really know how to answer this. I have one thing that comes to mind, but I feel bad because I feel like it drives me in the opposite (laughs) direction. Um, So, and anybody, I don't know, like, I could be wrong about this, but I've, like, heard from other people in, like, elders and stuff that we have some traditions about, like, you know, the old ways. Like, we we call it the old ways. I don't know how other people call it, but we call like pre-colonization or like when we still had our traditions the old ways um and in the old ways like there was this view that if you can't do it right don't do it at all and i would say that that drives me in the opposite way (laughs) because i feel like it's such a limited belief um, and maybe was some of the reason why a lot of our traditions and stories and what have you have been lost because there's this idea from some elders that it's disrespectful for us to try to maintain 
um, traditions if we can't do them properly. And I could get into more specifics, but I don't want to share too much about like really sacred like cultural stuff. But I think it drives me in the opposite direction because I think it leaves me and like the youth that are my age like wondering what to do you know like like what do we do with that like if we can't do it right then we just don't do it at all so then we're just lost without like our culture you know and our tradition so I think it drives me in the sense that like I'm not going to be able to do this perfectly and I'm never going to be able to do this in the same way that my ancestors did but I can at least try to hold on to the ways that they did things and also bring it into contemporary society um so I think that drives me in a lot of the things I do because um I don't want to be stuck thinking that I have to live in the past and if there's something contemporary and modern and something about this world that I live in that I want to pursue then just by me being native and doing it I'm adding a twist to it you know like I'm adding my own um my own beliefs from my ancestors to it so it's weird so it like drives me in the opposite direction I would say but that's the only thing that like I think came to mind with that question did you have anything in mind when you asked that um not necessarily I just I think uh when I was asking it I was just kind of trying to learn more about what (laughs) traditional beliefs your people might have because yeah yeah it's just I do try to like especially being on Twitter I do try to learn from other natives more so Mm -hmm. because I feel like I've spent so much of my life learning what is being taught to me from colonial systems and so I feel like now I yeah. actively, you know, try to look for other traditional practices because I, even now I kind of feel like I have already reached the point to where I am placing much more like trust and faith in native practices than in colonial practices. Like I'm, mm-hmm. like I'm feeling like that is where the knowledge is, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. That's awesome. Um. So then the last one we have is, do you remember the first time you identified as Native, or was it always? Do you want to take the lead on this one, and then I can answer? Um, Well, for me, yes. It has been always, just because it was undeniable (laughs) to be, like, (laughs) you know, born in um, New Mexico, and then living for the first six years on the reservation, and then after we left, I kind of was in this habit, like my family would always, every time we would meet somebody new, they would always introduce ourselves from where we came from. And so it's just kind of always been a part of my identity. And how I thought about it as my identity throughout the years has kind of evolved and changed um, because when I was a little kid, that was just, you know, it was just res life, you know, <laughs> and mm-hmm. there was no, nothing for me to compare it to, and then I went through this, like, intense, like, from when I was age six until probably, like, 25, I went through, like, a very, like, and I wouldn't say it's something that was consciously done to me, but it was definitely, a, like, rigorous 
Americanization diet mm-hmm. <laughs> where mm-hmm. everything that was fed to me was be an American, be a good American. And then I started questioning, well, what is a good American? What is an American? And why is that me? And then I just started, you know, unpacking all of that that was just kind of given to me. Like, and especially because I come from a military background, it was a lot of um, things that were presented to me as unquestionable. And just because I, mm-hmm. like, because of just who I am and how, like, I listen to System of a Down and all of that, <laughs> like, I just kind of always never stopped questioning, like, what was being put in front of me. And I think that that has really, like, helped me to keep that, you know, that line, that thread back to where it came from. And so... It's something, and especially like how when I mentioned earlier about how sometimes I feel like the drag culture on Twitter drives people away from their culture when you Mm -hmm. instead could be working on like education, not educating them on your idea of how to be a native, but giving people the ideas and the tools to start, you know, looking for their own threads back to their native cultures and their people and where they yeah. came from, their connection to the land that their family came from. So that's that's kind of how I've always identified, or how I identify as native now, but yeah. It's, yeah, but it hasn't always been that way. No. Yeah. There was a whole yeah. period too, like a dark, like I see it now as dark, but back then I just felt lost. of a period of where I was trying to fit into this mold of being like an American and now I'm just totally just uh, just done with that (laughs) yeah (laughs) I would say mine is kind of similar but um just for some context too I was adopted at the age of one years old um by my dad and my mom so I'm Serrano on my dad's side and then white and some traces of Mexican Spanish ancestry on my mom's side um, from my adoption. Um, but I have I have a really good memory. I don't know why, but I can remember like stuff from when I was like three or four years old, Me too. which is wild. I don't know why, but I seriously do have like really early memories. And um, one of my earliest, I have two early memories of when I identified as native for the first time. So the one that I can remember is in preschool when I was looking, when I was in the classroom and I saw a book where it had Indians in it. And I remember like thinking to myself or saying out loud something like, that's like me and my dad, you know, like that's, that's what we are. And it was weird, like, seeing myself, like, represented in a book, you know? But then this is a for sure memory that (laughs) I'll never forget. I don't know why I'm like this, but when I was a little kid, when I was in first and second grade and third grade, I used to lie all the time. Like, I used to lie a lot. Like, I would just make up stories. (laughs) And we were in first grade, and we were learning about Thanksgiving. And, of course, of course, we have that narrative about the Indians being at the first Thanksgiving and the pilgrims and all these things and I remember my cousin who's also native was in my class um, because we went to the same school and um, I remember like telling people that 
I was there at the first Thanksgiving (laughs) as like a little, you know, baby, like wrapped up. I like was telling people that I could remember the first Thanksgiving, like, cause I'm native and, and like, it was, it's seriously so funny now. It's like, why did I, I don't know. I thought that would be like the most validating way of me claiming my indigeneity was lying about how I was at the first Thanksgiving. But it's so funny how kids rationalize things. Like, I don't know why I thought that would, like, come across as people would believe me as being Indian. Oh, my God. Um, I, I think you should start doing it again. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. introducing myself, like, right. hi, I'm Wahi. I was at the first Thanksgiving. <laughs> Especially around But that's, like, my... <laughs> yeah, I think my little child self wanted that for some reason. Aww. I don't know. Because I, I so saw cute. that as like, oh, this is the way us natives are represented to white people, you know, is at the Thanksgiving. So they'll believe me if I tell them that I was there, you know. They'll believe that I'm native that's, if I say that I was at the first one. And that's so funny because I feel like that is kind of like a thing too because when I was when I was a kid, it would always be like whenever Thanksgiving would come around, I'd be like, oh, great. Now everybody's going to like look back at me and stare at me anytime the teacher references yeah. natives. And I'm like, yeah. Oh. And it does. Yeah, it did that happen. used to happen to me still. Yeah, that used to happen to me like in fourth grade when we were learning about the missions. Yeah. And they would talk about Indians, and, like, I felt like people were, like, thinking about me in the room or something. Yeah. And, like, sometimes my teacher would call me out and, like, say something like, oh, or whatever like I know. is native and I'd be like oh no <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, that's super awkward but, but I feel like teachers do that because they just think it's so cool but they don't really understand that like why do we have to be like the representation they're like the representatives yeah all native people we don't have the capacity for that I'm the token years old in class <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah exactly but I mean, that's my first memories, and um, and then I still identified as native throughout schooling. Like I was affected by it, um, yeah. but I didn't change to like the view that I see myself as native now until I was nineteen. When I would say it was like the premonition that you had when you were twenty five, when you were like, "What is it that people are like feeding to me?" Huh. You know, yeah. about my identity and about how I fit in this world. So when I was 19 and I came across, like, Native Twitter and I came across, like, like, in because I was in debate in high school and stuff, so I started to gain, like, a critical lens on things. Because um, I, I would say that I was still, like, a little bit angry, like, learning about Natives in high school, but it wasn't until I got to college then, like, the anger jumped out <laughs> where I really found the emotional charge that I have um now with like representation and stuff and then it really transformed when I was like 20 I would say is when I really started to embrace my native identity in a whole new way um but for the longest time it was I used to be kind of ashamed of it when I was in middle school and high school because there was a lot of stereotypes around it and like, where I come from, you kind of didn't want people to know that you were Native. Like, that's kind of what was taught to us. You didn't want to let people at school know and stuff. But then 
like when people would come to my house on the res, like of course they would figure it out, you know? So I really went from being like kind of embarrassed about it and like not super talking about it too much in middle school and high school, but still like knowing that that was something that I couldn't choose, like that was just about me, to when I was 19. Um, and came across like, I would say like new framework for how I could see myself in the grand scheme of like native people outside of my community as well. Because before I think too, like when we're growing up, we're so accustomed to our own community. Like what does it mean to be native in our community? And then when like the introduction of like, you know, cell phones and like more communication, we got to connect with other natives outside of our community and be like, whoa, like, there's definitely some similarities and some things that I could learn, not just about myself, but about other people. Um, so yeah. So basically we kind of realized this would be a lot better as a standalone getting to know each other since we're already pretty much an hour in and you could take this as um, maybe just a framework for what, it's, what we're like um, and what we're going to be like as hosts of this podcast to talk about indigeneity and stuff. And then we can um, get into our next episode with um, specific topics. So some of the goals that we have for like the podcast are creating um, episodes around a certain topic that we really like or that we want to discuss. Um, so Desba and I already designed what the next episode would be about um and we decided to wrap this up um so hakupa i thank you so much for listening by the way and we hope that you really enjoyed listening and if you related to anything at all please oh my god please please reach out to us um and tell us your thoughts on anything that we said because that's pretty much the whole point of this, is to engage with other people. Um, so, is there anything else you would like to say to wrap it up? <laughs> Alright, so, ara, yeah, and to say goodbye, I'm just gonna say, hagone, hagoshi. <laughs> <laughs>